Just before we start this week's show, I'm excited to tell you about Series 2 of Career Life Stories. If you've not seen these video interviews before, they tell real stories about people, their lives and their work. Series 2 hits the internet in November and features interviews with Jerry Crispin from Career Crossroads, Johnny Campbell from Social Talent, Tony Bache from Striker, and me. Here's the trailer. When I was younger, I always thought, I want to have a job with a briefcase. Distinctly remember saying, I'm never going to work in an office behind a desk, I'm going to work outdoors. Didn't quite turn out that way. I was incredibly shy, like painfully shy. So obviously I started doing drama. <laughs> so was there an element of rebelling against the authority that you'd had? <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. So what was growing up like? My teacher hated me. This is hard to admit, but I literally, literally cut classes every day for an entire year. And in my very last week of high school, I was involved in a serious car accident, and that really changed the trajectory of my career. I loved the fact that it was us against the world. I kind of felt my career had really started um, at that point. Your, your hat. <laughs> in my hat. Like, was, was that intentional? I was clueless about what it really would take for me to, uh, to get another job. Within a couple of months we were facing a crisis. All the money we invested was gone and we had to figure out a way to survive. I honestly, I remember at that time thinking, gosh, like, I, am I even going to make it out of this and do I even care? I softened for the right reasons and I kind of learned that there's more to life. She was a phenomenal, phenomenal person. A lot of the things that have held me back at various points in my life and my career are of my own making. Tell me about the time you asked to write your own obituary. My life has always got better when I've done things that are outside my, outside my comfort zone. You have to take more responsibility for what it is you do and do that really well. Defining success is the most important thing to being successful. You have to kind of have that courage, have that belief, have that confidence that you can do it. You know, once people are gone, they're gone. Somebody goes, what the hell happened to that guy with the hat? <laughs> Career Life Stories is produced by Working Films, to find out more and to sign up for updates, go to careerlifestories.com. That's careerlifestories.com. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi, everyone. This is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 107 of the Recruiting Future podcast. I'm just back from last week's HR technology conference in Las Vegas, which was full of excellent insights. I'll be sharing an interview I recorded while I was out there on next week's show. 
On this week's show, I wanted to follow up on some of the topics raised during my discussion with Elaine Aller in episode 106 and do a much deeper dive into the candidate experience. My guest this week is self-confessed candidate experience fanatic Alan Walker. Alan is co-founder of the Talent Finders and is also a former in-house recruitment leader. He's the perfect person to give a practitioner's eye view of the issues surrounding the quest for the perfect candidate experience. Hi, Alan, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Nice to meet you. So could you introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do? Of course I can, yeah. So um, I'm Alan Walker. I'm a co-founder of the Talent Finders, and uh, we like to describe ourselves as as an innovative talent solutions provider, and hopefully the the businesses we work with will agree. Um, basically, we like solving a whole raft of interesting talent-related problems for our clients, and they range from big boys, big corporates, through to nimble startups and everything in between, really. And prior to the Talent Finders, which is uh, all of a year and two months old, I, I had a 14-year career in recruitment, starting out on the agency side and, and more recently on the in-house recruitment side with organisations like Pearson. Fantastic. So... I um, have sort of seen a lot of the the stuff that you uh, that you write online, um, and it, it's kind of really clear that you're very passionate about the candidate experience. What, what, why is that? What sort of drives that passion for you? Yeah, I think for me, it's um, my reasons are, are threefold, and I think firstly, probably the most important in my mind is it's it's the big softy in me. It's the right thing to do. I think when someone is searching for a job, they're more often than not putting blood, sweat and tears into their job search. And it's a it's an extremely emotive time for them. And for most people, a career move is really important. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. Probably has got that emotional attachment and is being done to make a positive impact on their lives. And for an employer to not respect that and to offer up very little in the way of engagement or unfortunately as many do no engagement at all is is entirely the wrong thing to do but but secondly and this is what will appeal to many it's the, the kind of pragmatist in me companies who actually do deliver a great candidate experiences are really helping their long-term hiring efforts so we've done a bit of research around this and um, it's shown that an unsuccessful candidate that feels well treated regardless of how far they get in a recruitment process, is um, much more likely to apply for other roles with that company in the future and more likely to talk positively about that organisation to their friends, family, etc. Whereas candidates who don't feel well-treated are clearly far less likely to do so and, um, of course, more likely to tell the world about it. So if any company places any emphasis on creating talent pipelines, talent pools, talent communities, whatever they may refer to them as, having engaged candidates that have positive feelings about their their organisation, its hiring practices, etc., is, is going to be far more productive in the long term. And and the last piece, the, the business person in me, um, it makes commercial sense as well. So you, you will have seen the Virgin Media did a really interesting piece of work a couple of years ago with... Um, ph creative and um they estimated that the amount of lost revenue from upsetting candidates who as a direct consequence decided to stop being customers was worth several million pounds and um the changes they put in place off the back of that not only improved the candidate experience so they didn't lose as many customers and they improved their ability to hire but it was so good that candidates who were not yet 
customers decided to become so. So in effect, it turned recruitment into a into a revenue generator. And not many recruitment teams can can claim that. Many in-house recruitment teams. Um, so for organisations, in particular those that are consumer brands, because that's where there is a really direct correlation. Delivering a great candidate experience not only helps on the recruiting front, of course, but also having a positive impact on the bottom line and the perception of their brand as a whole, really. That all makes, you know, very, very logical, very, very logical sense. And I suppose the the, the question for me, um, you know, lots of employers, uh, lots of people will always talk about the sort of the vital importance of the um, candidate experience. You can't go to any kind of event or conference or even turn LinkedIn on without someone saying that it's an incredibly important thing. Um, If everyone thinks it's so important, why do so many people get it so wrong what's the what's the what's the kind of what's the problem there yeah i think there's a bit of the delta between people saying it's important and actually thinking it's important and um, <laughs> i, I want to be kind here i think often it's down to um people spending their time in the weeds rather than above the canopy looking at the whole forest so having been a in-house recruitment leader a manager of teams myself it's, it's really easy to get down bogged down by the metrics that affect the today or the next week, such as time to hire, cost per hire, channel effectiveness, etc. And um, sometimes measuring things a little bit further beyond that, so like quality of hire, diversity and retention. But rarely do many go beyond that. Um, and certainly when they look at candidate satisfaction, in, uh, they never do it in any real great depth, in my mind. And often they'll focus on the candidate that got the job. What was your experience like, Mr. Candler, we've just offered a role to? Oh, it's brilliant. Kind of obvious they're going to say that to a certain extent. And nor do they um, look at the direct commercial impact of their work very often, such as how a, a poor candidate experience might be impacting their company's bottom line or or the perception of the brand. So um, I think, yeah, it's easy to pay lip, lip service to it, but those are actually doing something about it and actually mean what they say. So the few and far between, it's changing though, thankfully. So how can it be fixed? Um, I, you know, I, I see lots of people sort of discussing, um, you know, solutions to candidate experience. And, um, you know, very often those discussions just bring up a, a very, very long list of, um, of, of more problems. Um, so from, from your, you know, from, from your sort of perspective of, um, you know, being in-house and now sort of, you know, taking a step back and looking at the, um, the, the bigger picture, what, what do you think um, organisations can do to actually fix this problem? I think that's, um, as you said, it's the kind of million dollar question almost. And I, um, I don't think the answer is going to be the same for every organisation um, at all, um, far from it. But the starting point for every organisation who thinks they've got a problem to fix is to actually understand whether they have and do some proper research through a discovery stage to, to figure that out. And they need to get insight and proper valid data from applicants and candidates who've been all the way through their recruitment process and to make sure that research is valid. So what I mean by that, it needs to be a truly representative sample, and it's got to include those that may have only got as far as shooting their CV over and applying, all the way through to those that receive and accept an offer and and everything in between. And your sample must be representative of the volumes of candidates at each of those stages to truly put your finger on the pulse. And um, once that's been done, the next stage has got to be correlating the findings of that research and with the impact they might have on recruiting or or commercial outcomes or both so 
as an example, if a percentage of candidates are saying that the assessment part of your hiring process is, is broken, it's really unsatisfactory, they didn't feel it was rigorous or rigid or appropriate, um, what might that affect be on, on your organisation's ability to hire them? If they are the preferred candidate, they might just say no. Um, or your bottom line. So if they're customers and they think you can't organise a bun fight in a bakery, they may not want to give you their money anymore. And then, of course, you need to get into what it's going to cost to fix that, um, if there is a cost associated with it. And clearly, I can't give you that number or any organisation that number without knowing them. And it's going to be different for every organisation. But once that's been figured out, it should be reasonably easy to calculate the return on investment and um, that any expected improvements might make and then build a business case around it and do what you need to do with the powers that be internally to to get the support you need to make those changes who who does this well at the moment because um you know we're we're we're, we're being a little bit negative and saying that everyone's got a problem and it's all really bad and i know i know that there are some companies out there who um who've kind of been through this process and uh you know really focus on giving an excellent candidate experience who who, who stands out for you in this space well i'm i was laughing to myself there i was so pleased that you actually asked me who does it well rather than and who doesn't, as I, I'd have had to plead the, the Fifth Amendment on that one. But um, thank, thankfully, there are there's some pace setters out there. There are people who um, are, are leading their way. And in terms of organisations that people will have will have heard of, of course, that Virgin Media are, are really high profile. They've made some great strides. And other companies that I know of, such as Accenture, PepsiCo, Deloitte, some of those big boys have, um, have won awards for their candidate experience work recently. But I think um, that said, winning accolades when you have a big budget to make improvements and the right people in place to shout about it shouldn't deter other organisations who don't. I don't think you need huge budgets to get this stuff right. And some of the very best candidate experiences I'm hearing about are from smaller, less well-known organisations who are doing some really interesting and groundbreaking work in this space. And I think the beauty beauty of their situations, the smaller companies, is that they, they can try stuff. They can make mistakes and, and try again without that um, really high risk. And they can do it at pace. Whereas those bigger organisations we talked about earlier the reason they have to spend a lot of money on getting these things right for obvious reasons they need to get it right first time so uh, literally every week at the moment um it seems like there are several sort of new bits of talent acquisition technology coming onto the market all promising um you know all promising to solve various aspects of um uh you know talent acquisition the, the issues that people have C- can technology help with a candidate experience? Do you, do you think um, that obviously? Um, do you think that there's a there's a technical part to the solution to this problem? I think it, I can I think it can help, but I think technology is only part of the answer. I think there needs to be the right the right mindset and support from the business in place first, and that desire to to do uh, better candidate experience and to deliver a, a more engaging process. Um, but technology can be an enabler, without doubt. But you've got to have the right, uh, the right ethos in place first, and the right business reasons for doing doing it, and the right support from from leadership. Um, we're we're about to add to that um, piece of technology being released once a week thing ourselves, and uh, we're working on on a bit of tech with a number of companies that are going to, we hope, are going to help organisations deliver that 
candidate experience piece in a better way, but it's not going to do it without their input. It's not going to sit there and happily keep all candidates happy. Um, it needs the company that are using it to um, have the mindset that they want to deliver that experience. But even you know, even without that, there's existing technology around that, if used correctly, should be a help rather than a hindrance um, towards positive candidate experience. They've got the data. They know who's applying. They Most companies know where that person is in their application process. They've got communication channels because they are already communicating with candidates as they move through. Organisations just need to start using them more effectively, I think. There's a lot of excuses about why they can't rather than actually looking at ways they can. And I'm not just talking CRMs or ATSs here, but across the recruitment process, there's some great examples of technology that are helping organisations deliver far better and um, more personalised experiences. Things like um, candidate engagement tools, better assessment technology, of which there's some great experience, and tech geared up to supporting the onboarding piece as well. Because people assume someone's a candidate, somebody stops being a candidate once they've accepted an offer. But actually, they're still a candidate really until they walk through the first door, um, through the door on the first day, and um, and become an employee. So um, everything that improves that process can help. But you've got to have the mindset as an employer that you want it to be a positive experience. Yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense. I think that you know you're you're right about the the candidate experience extending into onboarding, and I think that you know lots of companies are talking about the employee experience at the moment being very very important, um, and that obviously starts with recruitment. So you know it's kind of a it's kind of a it should be sort of a seamless thing. Um, where you know where do you think we're going with all this in the future? If you had to sort of predict, uh, you know where we might be in a couple of years couple of years time, what what do you think the landscape would look like? I think it's it's got to improve and it's going to improve. And um, I'm I'm feeling a groundswell from from both applicants and candidates who I talk to every single day about this stuff, but also from hiring organisations as well. That we seem to be approaching a, a bit of a time for change for that candidate experience. People are starting to get it now. People are starting to understand the benefits of it. And even if even if morally, ethically, they don't care any more than they used to, they're seeing the commercial and business benefits of getting this stuff right. So uh, with that and that higher level of interest, and um, and also to a certain extent as more TA leaders are getting a seat at the boardroom table, it's also piquing the interest of leadership teams who are seeing the bottom line benefits of delivering that great candidate experience. And I think... Um, the way I'm seeing the better organisations starting to do it is, is treating candidates almost like consumers and understanding that um, you want that consumer to make your ultimate purchase, which is right at the very end of the process, they want to, they're want they going to say yes to an offer. And um, if you treat them like consumers rather than cattle, they're much more likely to do that. And they're more likely to come back again and again and again and, um, and really get attached and feel passionate about your brand rather than feeling just like a number who's, who's moved through a machine. And, um, you know, whether whether organisations improve their experiences through technology, better processes, good old human interaction, which I think is still highly valuable. It seems that things are, are moving in the right direction and there's a general there's a general tide uh, moving towards a better experience. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I completely I completely agree. So uh, final question, slightly different topic. Um 
anyone who is uh, connected to you on LinkedIn will know that you uh, you seem to have this fantastic knack for um, getting huge amounts of uh, engagement for the stuff that you write on LinkedIn. Um, in, in fact, there was a there was a period of time that every time I opened LinkedIn, you were always at the top of my you were always at the top of my feed. Um, can you can you give us uh, you know some some hints of the secret of your uh, LinkedIn engagement success? Um, you know how how you've made that happen. So it's all witchcraft and magic beans, Matt. Um, <laughs> no, um, I think joking aside, it's it's interesting. This one, it's um, it's been down to a genuine mixture of good luck. Um, I I had a few posts that I put out in a row that just seemed to get massive traction, and off the back of that, um, increased the number of connections and followers, etc. That I had. But I think really it was about me starting to take the platform more seriously. Um, both as a business tool, but also, as importantly for me, a, a tool for my own personal learning. And I've found that since I've applied myself to LinkedIn on actually actively communicating with connections rather than just being a, a passive observer who might like the other thing, um, I've seen a massive upturn in the level of engagement I'm getting. And, I've, and I'm also lucky to a certain extent that I've been able to adjust my style. So when I, since I launched the Talent Finders, when I was an employee, I was always constantly self-editing what little contribution I did in um, in fear of upsetting someone or, or that having an impact on my employer and my job and, and all those things. But now being being a co-founder of the Talent Finders and therefore my own boss to a certain extent, it's um, allowed me to cast the shackles off, so to speak, and, um, and be myself. And um, funnily enough, my concerns about upsetting people haven't really manifested themselves well with with the odd exception but in the main <laughs> and people seem to react positively to me thankfully alan thank you very much for talking to me thank you matt it's been an absolute pleasure i've really enjoyed myself and uh, thanks for listening to the ramblings of a candidate experience fanatic my thanks to alan walker you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes on stitcher or via your podcasting app of choice The show also has its own dedicated app, which you can download from your app store. Just search for Recruiting Future. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.